everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are talking movies. Yesterday, I saw a double feature, uh, not necessarily in theaters, but I saw two movies that I have not seen before. The first one was Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and then the second movie was I Know What You Did Last Summer. So today's uh, topics will be on that, along with a little focus on the box office and how things have been going. So I, uh, before I was doing this podcast, I was looking back at my ratings on IMDb because that's typically how I remember what movies I've seen recently. And I just, I, I was like, I feel like I haven't seen anything in a while and I haven't. And I was shocked. I, I've, I've been pretty busy the last few uh, weeks. And so since seeing Mr. America, I haven't seen any movies up until yesterday. Now, uh, I know me and my cousin and my brother, we've been trying to do this Halloween Fall Fest. And it's it honestly, it's really hard to do that sort of stuff with people because uh, everyone's kind of got their own lives. And so my cousin has been traveling and uh, my brother and I have been, uh, we've been working and my, my wife's sister just came in town. So like we've had a ton of stuff going on, which is kind of a bummer because my whole dream and I had, I think I did it last year. I wanted to watch a scary movie every single day of October and that 100% has not happened this year. Uh, so I think I might make that my goal next year, uh, which is fine. You know, I like having goals, but uh, the only thing I've actually been watching in the meantime was uh, has been some shows. I've been watching a lot of TV, and I know I, I don't discuss um, TV very much on here, but I'm a huge... Actually, no, I'm not a huge TV fan. I have a really hard time watching TV shows because of the commitment that is involved in watching them, uh, especially in this, this streaming wars age where every week it seems like six new series have come out that everybody is raving about and you have to watch them and everyone at work is talking about them and it's like, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. Um, <clears throat> so I've been watching, my wife's been watching the show Insatiable on Netflix and so I was watching that with her. Uh, I really like that show. I think that show is really funny. Um, it, I think it's a Netflix original. I may be wrong, but, uh, I've been watching a lot of, trying to watch some Halloween type things. So I, have been watching Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The, uh, the original Scooby-Doo ones, the old, uh, which I love. I watch those every single year. I try to watch as many episodes as I can. And so at this point they're a hundred percent reruns, but I don't care. It's just so nice to see, you know, to see them walking around and kind of getting into the same shenanigans every single day and, and seeing Scooby laugh like, yee! Uh, I know that was a really bad laugh, but uh, just, I don't know. I, I love the Scooby-Doo, but the other one that I've been watching with my, uh, we've, my brother, my cousin and I have been watching because again, our schedules have, have limited to us where whenever we're all available to watch something, it hasn't been for enough time to warrant it being a movie. So we've been trying to watch Night Gallery, which is like our favorite show of all time, one of our favorite shows. And uh, uh, it's a show by Rod Serling, and it's a it's sort of a pet project from the Twilight Zone. And honestly, I like Night Gallery better than Twilight Zone. Uh, I'm not, not saying the show is better than Twilight Zone. I, I actually, I've seen more of the Night Gallery than I have of Twilight Zone. I've still seen a lot of both, but Night Gallery is, is just such a cool concept. Rod Serling uh, narrates it, and every episode starts with him walking around this uh, this painting gallery, and he calls it the Night Gallery. And he walks around and comes up to paintings and does like a quick little topic or talk about that in classic Rod Serling fashion of what that painting is and what it's doing 
and then that painting is one of the pieces of the episode. So each episode typically is like three paintings. And so like the one that we just recently watched was, uh, and they're, they're all really our favorites, but this one was, uh, it was Lindemann's Catch, which was a story, it's a story about a guy, a fisherman, who uh, he's kind of a gruff, uh, crotchety old fisherman sort of guy. And um, this boat ends up actually capturing and catching a mermaid. And he doesn't believe it. And he goes down there and sees the mermaid and falls in love with the mermaid. And uh, in the process, he sh- the mermaid's dying because obviously it's in, in um, like the surface. It's not underwater, so it can't breathe. And so this guy is like, ooh, I've got a, he's like, I've got this potion for you. And it's funny. It was like this, this sort of jack of all trades kind of guy. And uh, Lindemann was being really mean to him in the bar the night prior, like bullying him. And so somehow he shows up on the boat. He's like, I've got this little vial. If you if you make her drink this, it will turn her. It's like it will turn her. Suppose he thinks that it will turn her into a human. But the way that he describes it to him, it's not quite that. And so by the end of the episode, and it's really cool because, and I would I would highly recommend watching the show. I don't know where you can find it. I think it's available on IMDb TV for free, but you can also get it on, you know, you can buy it on Amazon or wherever. And I, we just have the DVD sets. So he gives her this vial and the next morning she wakes up and instead of having a fish bottom, like she's got the big flipper, the flipper and all that, and then a human top, now she has a human bottom and a fish head and so he he loses his mind he's like no and so then she like jumps out because now she can walk so she jumps off the boat into the water swims away and he jumps after her and they never see lindemann again and so it was a it's it's a cool and that's what it is a lot of the stories are kind of that sort of they're like it's like a fable sort of story so then the second one was called uh I don't remember what the name of it is, but it's a, it's about a lady who is shopping for coffin for funeral services. And so the whole episode is her at this funeral parlor asking about what the services are. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, we can provide an open casket, this, that, and the other. She's like, no, no, I, I need the bare bones minimum because her she's like super rich, but her husband has a stipulation in the will that she has to ha- she cannot get the money from him for a period of like, it's like 90 days or some really long period of time. So she's like, I have to be living on a budget. And she's like, okay, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I've been shopping around and you guys clearly are the best deal. And she leaves and the other mortician's like, hey, why, what's going on? Like, why was she doing, why would she shop around? He's like, oh yeah, you don't, you don't understand it, do you? Like she's not, her husband hasn't died yet. Like she's, planning on killing her husband basically and so it's like it's in some of them it's cool some of the episodes are like the whole hour and they're hour-long episodes some of these little paintings are the full hour some of them are most of the hour and some of them are super short like there's ones that are like three minutes long and they're kind of bits but so that one was a shorter one but then that one goes to our favorite one of our family's favorite ones which is called uh, a feast of blood and that one is about this guy who is like a, a a huge jerk he's a huge asshole and he is trying he's like a he kind of is a he's an ugly guy like he's not a good looking guy but he's really rich and so no one ever wants to be with him and he keeps trying to court this really beautiful girl and she doesn't want anything to do with him and so she gives him this brooch that is a bodu or a vodou it's like this it's a sort of uh, a bat i think is how he describes it and she's like oh it's a mouse he's like it's not a mouse it's a bat 
and uh, she she wears the brooch, and the whole dinner, they're like going out to dinner, she's being kind of rude to him, and he's all trying to just like, I want to marry you, and she's like, no, I'm never, I'm going to marry John, and he's like, ah, John, like, da-da-da-da-da, and so by the end of the episode, though, she he's like driving her home, and, and he's like, are you sure you don't want to be with me, like, this is your last chance, and you're like, oh, no, and she's like, yeah, and so he tries to like make some moves on her, and so at the end of the day, this guy is a horrible person, like, he's He's very misogynistic. He's a, he's a complete idiot. But the story itself is what you're there for. You're not, and, and this is old. This is like 19, uh, 1960s stuff. And so back then, you know, they didn't really care about that sort of stuff as much. And I'm gonna I'm gonna look up just so I can tell you exactly what the date is on this. But uh, come on, gallery. There we go. Yeah, it went from 1969 to 1973. But so what happens is after he kicks her out of the car, he's like, fine, you can walk home. And she's got this brooch on her sh- on her chest. And the camera kind of pans away to her, pans back to her. And each time the brooch, the, the bodu, the vodu gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then kills her. And so like the last scene is this giant vodu on her. And she's like, ah, and it's like eating her. And then the, the final scene of the show is him trying to date another chick, giving her the same brooch. And so it's like this creepy sort of voodoo. like there's and there's a ton of of guest appearances in the show from people that you would have never thought of. One of our favorite ones in here, too, from another episode is called uh, There Aren't Any More McBains. And in that, there is a very brief appearance by Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker himself. And there's other ones where, like, Leslie Nielsen's in a couple. And I'm trying to think if there's any other famous people. But there's a lot. I mean, there's a, it's, a, it's sort of a British show. And so the American people that are in there, it was always kind of nice to see. It was like, oh, cool. Like, oh, that's Mark Hamill. But... The show's incredible. Like I said, one of the best shows I've ever seen. So that's what we've been watching. And uh, that's kind of just the preamble to why there hasn't been uh, as many movie things. I've just been a little busy and haven't had the time. And the last few weeks, there haven't been a lot of good movies that I thought were good coming out in theaters. Uh, coming out in wide release theaters. And that's what I want to point out. We have We are now in... We are in the end game right now for Oscar season, and it is, it is that time of year where I get very, very cynical, and that is because I feel, and you guys have, you guys listening to this podcast have known since the very beginning, I am a, I love art, any form of art, whether that's comic books, books, movies, music, uh, art itself, like paintings. Uh, I just I love art in any way that it can be shown, and I think that art should be judged on its merits, not on the politics behind the movie. And so uh, when Oscar season comes around, it really just gets me really cynical and upset because you get these movies that look really good. It's like, oh, okay, cool, this is going to be a great movie, but oh, it's not in theaters yet. It's not in theaters, and it won't be in theaters until February, yet people on film Twitter are screaming about how this movie is going to be the Oscar winner for the year because they went and saw it at the Toronto Film Festival. And it's like... To me, that does not, that is just, it's so annoying. It's like, uh, it's, to me, I think the most important award for art should be your own Oscar. You should just have your own Oscars for your own movies. You should not be worried about what other people think of these movies. And even at that point, even if you get to that point, it should be the People's Choice Award. The one, I think, is that Nickelodeon? I don't know who, they do the Kids' Choice Award, but I think the People's Choice Award is a little more important because then you could have everybody vote. How cool would that be if there was a, that would be awesome, actually, if there was an election. You know how you get your your, your mail-in ballots? Or it, it could even be done on the internet. 
and you vote for your favorite movies, and and then you know I've, other movies would get a chance to shine as opposed to the current Oscars and Golden Globes, where a very select few hoity-toity movies that are more geared towards giving um, giving recognition to like the director or the people who are making it versus the actual movie, and it may be a movie that nobody has ever ever seen, and so that just drives me crazy. It drives me up the wall, and it and it's been worse recently now that I think I follow a couple more people who are quote unquote film Twitter, and because of them, when they like the actual film Twitter's tweets, I see them because I because Twitter does that thing where it's like, oh, this person liked this, and it's like, well, I don't want to see what they like. And though I have to, and so I've just been constantly seeing people going like, oh, Parasite is the best movie of all time. And uh, I'm looking right now on um, Box Office Mojo, Parasite's in 33 theaters. Worse off than that, Jojo Rabbit and Lighthouse are in eight, uh, five and eight theaters respectively. And people are talking about these movies are going to be Oscar movies. And I, again, all that aside, I cannot wait to see all three of those movies. I am so excited to see them. I've been waiting to see The Lighthouse. You heard me on a prior cast when I was watching the trailers. I am dying to see The Lighthouse. I loved The Witch. I've loved, and that's like really the only other thing I think that Eggers has done, or Edgers, whatever, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I'm really, really wanting to see The Lighthouse. Same with Jojo Rabbit. I love Taika Waititi. I'm dying to see that movie, and I really want to see Parasite. I, um, I've i heard some really great things about it, but it's just, why are you saying, like, why are you already confirming that this is going to be an Oscar movie based on a Toronto film festival that you sat in and watched and nothing else? Like, that just, it, it infuriates me when there's other movies like Avengers Endgame that I know... I know they're not going to win. That's fine. But when you have a movie that has now become the number one movie uh, grossing of all time, which means that so many millions and millions of people have gone to see that, you would think that maybe that would be the best picture of the year because judging by how many people went and saw it. And that's fine. There should be, I I think that, I don't agree that the Oscars should have a popular film category because to me that seems kind of like coddling. I think, though, there should be a separate award, like the People's Choice Awards, where those sort of movies get honored. But there are those. The People's Choice Awards exist. No one cares about them, though. Everyone just cares about the Oscars. And so, I don't know. It's a it's a weird dance that everyone's doing. And so, with that said, Lighthouse... So, this weekend was a big weekend for movies, I thought. And I knew. I knew. It was four. There are four big movies coming out this weekend, which was Maleficent, Zombieland 2... Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit. I was like, wow, this is going to be a busy weekend, but I should have known. It happens every time. I should have known. Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit aren't showing at all in Colorado right now. They are both going to be premiering next week, which is fine. I'm fine waiting. I, I'm okay with that. And so I still have to go see Zombieland, but I saw Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and I loved it. I went with my wife and my wife's sister, and we all thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I honestly think I liked it better than the first movie, and I'm going to tell you why. So... Um, I'm gonna pop it up here so that I can get uh, who made this movie. But obviously, this is a Disney movie, and it's directed by Joaquin Roning, who uh, also directed Pirates of the Caribbean, the um, the most recent one, Dead Men Tell No Tales. 
It's written by Micah Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster, Linda Wolverton. And the story was by Linda Wolverton as well. Did she do the original? Yep, she wrote the original Maleficent. Wow, she wrote The Lion King. She wrote Beauty and the Beast, both the original and the remake. She also did the she did the oh the characters of the the new one. Wow, Alice, she's done a lot of Disney movies, guys, and I bet you these other guys have as well. Um, no, but he did, he's in, okay, okay, no, he must have just helped on Maleficent, Noah Harpster, and then Micah, what has Micah done? Um, he's a producer, so it sounds like the, the bulk of the work was probably done by Linda, which is great, you can tell. What I loved about this movie, uh, was just how original it was, and so it stars Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, Elle Fanning as Aurora, Harris Dickinson as Prince Philip, Michelle Pfeiffer as Queen Ingrith, and Sam Riley as Diaval, with Chidwell Ejiofor as Canal, and Ed Screen as Bora. So this was, like I said, I just really, really enjoyed the originality of this movie. I loved the first Maleficent because she's one of my favorite Disney evil queens, uh, evil people in the Disney realm. I just, I love her design. I love her horns. I love her wings. I love that she turns into a dragon in the old cartoon. And uh, so I was really excited because Angelina Jolie is the perfect Maleficent and she still is the perfect Maleficent. But what was great about this movie was getting to see her go toe to toe with Michelle Pfeiffer. And it was just electric. I thought the the movie itself was very uh, like the storyline was very cut and dry. There's no there weren't really any surprises. And it was funny because for kids for some people, I could see where they would be shocked. My wife, like, there are certain things where, uh, and I'm gonna, hmm, I'm wondering if I'll go into spoilers. Yeah, I'll do spoilers. So, guys, if you haven't seen this movie, I'm gonna talk spoilers on this. So, if you want, you can pause this and come back. Uh, these are, in my opinion, not spoilers because uh, I certainly wasn't shocked by any of these things that happened. And there were a couple of things that did surprise me. But, for example, uh, the, the story is this. Malefic- this. It happens after the first Maleficent story. Aurora is now the queen of the Moors, which is the area where all the fae live, all the, the fairies and giant talking, not talking, but the giant trees and all that stuff. So she lives there. She's the queen of that place. And Prince Philip comes uh, and he lives in all, I think it's Allstead is what it's called, Allstead, Allstead, uh, the, t- the kingdom that's right across the river from the Moors. And he lives over there with his his parents, the king and queen, which is Michelle Pfeiffer, is the queen. And he has fallen in love with Aurora. They've been in love for a long time now, and so he proposes to her. And both of their hopes are to unite the Moors and Alstead in a one happy kingdom. And uh, we find out very quickly that that is not what Michelle Pfeiffer wants. And so they invite uh, Aurora and Maleficent to dinner. And that's where the whole all the trouble happens. So uh, the king ends up falling asleep or getting cursed by Maleficent at the dinner. And honestly, guys, like I said, if you know Maleficent, if you know movies, you know for immediately that it's not Maleficent didn't curse her. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's all completely obvious that she didn't curse her. But Michelle Pfeiffer claims that she did, and she's been. Spe- and what was interesting too, and I think it was more than obvious. Uh, the Moors, more than obvious that this was a huge political commentary on 
um, just everything that's happening on right now, which I really enjoyed seeing. I like that, especially in, in my movies, or especially in movies geared for kids, because um, teaching them and showing them how to do things right, how to be kind to others, how to be accepting to others, to not succumb to fear that is uh, told by people in power, uh, is a really important message. And so Michelle Pfeiffer kind of goes into detail about that towards the end of the movie, essentially saying that a true powerful kingdom is ruled by a ruler who puts fear into the hearts of their subjects, and then their subjects use that fear to protect the kingdom is kind of how she describes it, which is, like I said, you can draw instant parallels on that. And so what's been happening and what was so cool was it was like she has been spreading the lie that Maleficent cursed uh, Aurora and which she did she did curse aurora but then if you guys remember she brought aurora back to life it was maleficent's love that brought aurora back to life or, or woke her from her sleep and so michelle pfeiffer twisted that story to saying that it was true love's first kiss yada 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 all that stuff so that people would still fear the moors and fear this other culture this other people that are different than them and um so that's kind of that's basically the premise of the movie is they're having to overcome that. And so the whole the whole premise now is that Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, again, you know she's a bad guy from like the first minute because she, she eats up this role. She is chewing on every scene that she can. And obviously, this, like I said, the script isn't perfect, but she, she and Angelina Jolie are just toe-to-toe with each other going, you know, with the the cold stares and the the um, sassy remarks and oh man it was just so I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding you I was on the edge of my seat for almost the entire movie because I was just like oh my god like what are they going to do next like oh this is such a tense scene between the two of them and so after the dinner Maleficent flees and Michelle Pfeiffer has her shot down she shoots has someone shoot iron into her she falls into the river and uh, she's saved by Chitowell Ejiofor, and I really hope I'm saying his name right, but he is of 12 Years a Slave. He was in uh, Doctor Strange. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, what we what we do in the shadows, uh, no, the uh, the secret in their eyes, or whatever it was. But um, he saves her, brings her back to a colony of dark fae, as he describes it. Hundreds and hundreds of people just like Maleficent who have wings and horns. They're not as powerful as her, and they acknowledge that she is the last of her kind in terms of having pure magic like she does, the, the green magic, the, the, the like aura that she has, that dark, that amazing like neon green. Uh, but they can all kind of control like plants and stuff too, just like a lot of the other fairies. And so they are in the process of going to war against the humans because they have been pushed to this faraway island where they have to hide so that people don't kill them. And so that part was really sad. But Chidwell is really pushing for peace between them and the humans, and Ed Screen's character is not. And and so is Maleficent. She's like, it's not going to happen. And so um, Chidwell kind of walks her around, shows her all these different things, and it was so cool. Like I said, this entire movie, and, and I applaud Disney for this, this movie is so original. Like the entire movie is original. It, it's it's an original story. It's not. It's only based off of those characters. The there's no like you can't go find an old Disney movie where they talked about this or or whatnot. This is all new stuff. So I thought that was so cool that they were able to uh, flesh out this world. And honestly, I really hope other 
Disney future Disney movies take that into consideration in terms of their remakes because Disney really likes making these live action remakes and people love watching them there's no doubt about that but I really think they need to focus on making these original stories that yeah you know what maybe they don't do as well at the box office but they're still going to do well enough and and I'll talk about that later in in terms of their box office that they got this weekend but so she uh, at that point they they're kind of, they're, so that's half the story is Maleficent with her kind now figuring things out and then the other half is Aurora at the castle sort of feeling out of place like uh, the queen's kind of dictating her life now trying to tell her what dress to wear to the wedding and this that and the other and at the same time the queen is planning to kill all of the fairies and by doing so she has found a way with the help of Warwick Davis if you guys know I believe he was was he Willard he was uh I you know what he's why I always ask this these rhetorical questions when I am sitting here staring at my IMDb thing uh Warwick Davis was in yep he was in Willow he was Griphook in Harry Potter he um so in his he was in uh, solo as well star wars story but his name is lick spittle and so he's like a little tr- gremlin troll or whatever and uh him and um uh michelle pfeiffer's character are trying to find a way to kill them and so he found this flower that is uh it only blooms like on the graves of dead fairies and when it's mixed with the iron it turns into like a, a red powder and if the fairies even breathe this powder, they die. They just turn, they, all magic has disappeared from them. And it's really, really sad. So there was a lot of emotion in that piece of it. And so the whole plan now is, and again, spoilers at this point, because everything up to here is not necessarily spoilers. You'd have guessed it. But her whole plan is to have this wedding invite all of the fairies from the moors, every single magical creature from the moors, get them all in one place and kill them. And uh, at the same time now, Maleficent is going to war against the humans. Or No, she is not. She stays with Chittowell because they they fly back and notice all of those flowers are gone. And they're like, oh no, like something's happening. And it was a trap. So there's a bunch of soldiers who start shooting those iron bullets at Maleficent. Chittowell's character blocks them and takes the fall, like gets hit by all the bullets. And so Maleficent stays behind with Chittowell while Ed Screen's character declares war. And it's a, it is a cool battle, guys. It is a amazing and amazing battle. Like I, like I said, I was on the edge of my seat for that battle. And, uh, and so with that said, you know, like I said, the one thing I'll say is at the, I don't even know if they said what the name of the place was, the place where all the Dark Fae live, there's this giant dragon, this phoenix that uh, Chittowell talks about. He says, this is you, like this is your phoenix. And um, like you're the last of its kind. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. They're gonna definitely talk about that later in the movie. And so there's this scene towards the end during the big battle when Aurora is confronting the queen. She's figured it all out. And what ended up happening was the queen stuck her husband, the king, with the spindle uh, because it hadn't been destroyed. What's her fa- uh, Maleficent spindle? Struck- so she he's just in an eternal sleep. So she figures this out, confronts him, confronts her, and she's about to get shot, and Maleficent saves her and turns into complete ashes and dies. And you're like, and, and my wife turns to me. She's like, oh no. And I, I, lo- I looked at her and just said, give her a minute, give it a minute. And literally like a minute later, all of her ashes start spinning around like the phoenix. She rises and she's this giant, insane bird and just 
Oh, just wreck shop. It was insane. And uh, so, yeah, like I said, I just loved this movie. I thought it was so cool. The action was great. The originality was great. And again, it's not some highbrow uh, Oscar-winning movie, but it was a fun movie to go see. The the uh, Multiple times, my wife turned to me and she said, I bet you this movie would look really good on your TV. And I'm thinking, hell yeah, this would look good in 4K on a giant screen. Like, the colors were bright and vibrant. And then, again, the, the message of this movie was just so powerful because they so blatantly talk about, like, fearing others and um, not trusting, like, keeping yourself within just your contained kingdom. And so Aurora and uh, the, the King Philip now, uh, they're basically, he's like, from this day forward, there will be no more battles. Like, we will be, this will be a, a time of peace between the Moors and our people. And people can move between the areas freely. There will be no harm. It was just, it was such a powerful message, I thought, for kids to see. And um, I really recommend going to check this movie out. It, uh, I gave it an 8. 8 out of 10. I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't be upset if there was another Maleficent movie just to see uh, Angelina Jolie in the movie. But I also would be okay with where we're at right now because we've gotten two great Maleficent movies and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, com- couldn't complain. I can't complain. And I couldn't love them anymore. And the second movie that I saw last night was just really funny, a really interesting bit of synchronicity that I have been waiting, uh, well, what is it, 1987? Probably, what, 20 years. I've been waiting 20 years to see I Know What You Did Last Summer. So I was um, scrolling through Twitter, and uh, there was a, a Twitter person that I follow that was doing a, it was like a, a scary movie binge, and they were posting like the the poster for each of the movies they were watching and it was like movie six i've never seen this movie before but this was my pick it was like they were watching with a group of friends and it was i know what you did last summer and in my head i was like dang i really need to see that movie and not even kidding you 15 minutes later my wife who doesn't follow this person she's not really on twitter she's like you know what's a movie that i haven't seen in a while she was like have you ever seen i know what you did last summer and i was like you have got to be kidding me and i told her the story she's like let's just watch it and i was like oh let's do it and so we rented it from amazon it was on amazon i think it's 3.99 and uh, i was telling her because i when i was a kid uh, my cousin's house a different cousin my cousin's house they had a vhs tape of i know what you did last summer and I always looked at it, and I always thought, like, that is the weirdest title for a movie. And I just always wanted to watch it, and I couldn't because it was rated R. And um, so I just, I've always thought about that movie. Whenever I saw it, it always reminded me of when I was a kid seeing that and going, like, wow, that was a, looks like a scary movie. And so I finally got to watch it 20 years later, to last night, and I liked it. I thought it was good. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Um, if you guys haven't seen this movie, it's a movie about a group of four friends who... Uh, they go, basically a crime is committed between the four of them and they spend the next year hiding that crime. So this movie is directed by Jim Gillespie with writing by Kevin Williamson based on the novel by Lois Duncan. And uh, it stars a lot of people with three names. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and then Annie Hesch. Oh, no, no. But the main four people are Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh, Ryan Felipe and Freddie Prince Jr. And uh, it's so it's a movie about that, them four. And obviously, spoilers for this movie, guys. This movie's 20 years old, so there's really nothing to spoil. But the four of them are graduating high school. It's the 4th of July. They're at a party on the beach. They live on this fishing town. 
and they're having this party and there's drinking involved and they um they're driving down the road and they hit somebody in the road and knock them dead apparently they're like okay this person's dead and they're like we need to call the police and they're like no 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 if we call the police our lives are over like we're about to go to college all this stuff it's a very a very, uh, what would you say, kind of like a white person problem sort of thing, like uh, thinking that they can get away with murder, and they literally do. They do get away the whole time. It's never addressed. They 100% get away with murder, but the problem is at the end, we find out, ooh, it actually wasn't murder, so they kind of got off the hook, but still a very weird premise and a very 90s premise. So these, these four kids hit this person, think they're dead, drive them to a pier, and dump them in the ocean. And uh, then one year it goes. Then one they all say we're t- we're keeping taking this to our graves. We're not going to talk about it. One year later, they come back home for the summer, and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character gets a letter in the mail that says, "I know what you did last summer," and she starts losing her mind. And this whole it shows this whole time too. This whole year has not been good to her. She's been freaking out about this whole thing, and uh, can't do anything about it because she made a promise. And so the whole rest of the movie is about this killer basically hunting, trying to hunt them down and kill them and mess with them for what they did. And you never really find out who it was, but they do some digging and find out who the person they killed was, find their family, do some digging there. And by the end of the day, what ends up happening is they actually didn't kill that person. So what happens is that person, uh, he was dating somebody and like sort of killed that person, caused them to kill themselves. And the father of that girl killed him. And then they killed that guy, but he actually didn't die. So they didn't kill him. So they actually never killed anybody. But in the in the first place, they never killed the person they thought they killed. They killed the they attempted to kill the guy that is now hunting them, this this father. And so he's apparently killed a bunch of times now. And so by the end of the movie he's like, you know, you need to if you're gonna kill somebody, you need to do you need to make sure that they're dead. And it's like, oh wow, like dude, you're you're psycho. Like he kills everybody. And uh I don't know. I just I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was going to be really corny, and it had its bits. But in terms of being a scary movie, I I jumped a couple of times. I was spooked a couple of times, and I really enjoyed. Honestly, I really enjoyed seeing the four of those actors on screen uh, in the '90s because I I loved all of them. Jennifer Love Hewitt was great. Sarah Michelle Gellar was great as the Homecoming Queen. Ryan Felipe of in my eyes MacGruber fame. He um, he was great as the jerk jock, and then Freddie Prinze Jr. of Scooby Doo fame. He was the uh, kind of the you know you thought the entire movie that maybe it was him that did it or was was hunting them, but it wasn't. It was uh, it was this guy, this fisherman who. But what's funny too is Johnny Galecki is in this movie as well, and he's the guy from Big Bang Theory from Christmas Vacation. So it was. In terms of scary, and that's why I gave it a seven. In terms of scary, I would give it uh, two cobwebs of spiders because it was spooky enough. Where if you got your face caught in those cobwebs, you know you're gonna be like, ah, get it off. But uh, once you get the cobwebs off, you know it's not that scary anymore. But there's, uh, 
Uh, my wife had said, well, this is why I always, uh, she's always saying every once in a while, like, what are you waiting for? And there's, uh, there's this, she explained it's from this movie. There's that scene where Jennifer Love Hewitt is, she's got, she like looks in the back of her trunk of her car and there's a dead body in there with a bunch of crabs and then it's missing. And she's like, what are you waiting for? Like, just come out here and kill me. And, uh, so no, I really enjoyed this movie. I would recommend it if you guys haven't seen it. It's a good, uh, it's, it's a seminal night and late nineties movie, I would say. And, uh, like I said, I enjoyed it. So, um, those were the two movies that I saw this week. And now real briefly, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the box office. So Maleficent in my eyes, I, I think did really well this weekend. Uh, and so did Zombieland and uh, so did Joker. But so four movies came out this weekend. We got Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Uh, the estimated weekend gross for it is $36 million, And along with that, it made $117 million foreign. So this weekend, it's uh, estimated that it made $153 million, which I think is pretty good. Uh, and I'm going to see uh, if I can find a way that it maybe compares it to its prior movie. I don't think we're gonna get to see it. Let me let me just Google it and check real quick. Hold on. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's performing less than Maleficent. Yeah. So right now, Maleficent's lifetime gross is 241 million, and uh, it opened with 69 million. So uh, it definitely it, it did about half, a little less than half. Uh, no, yeah, a little more than half of what it had, but wow. Okay, so Maleficent made seven hundred and fifty-eight million dollars in its in its lifetime run. That's impressive, guys. That's really impressive on a hundred and eighty million dollar budget. I think that's really good. Now with Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, it's got its work cut out for it. And again, I get why. I can see why there's a lot of movies that came out this weekend, but I really hope there's some positive word of mouth about it um, because I really enjoyed it and I really hope it does well. I hope. I hope more people see it, if only to send a message to Disney that we want more original movies. We want more creative original movies, maybe on existing IP, but original nonetheless. Zombieland made $32 million worldwide, and that's off a budget of $42 million. So I, I, I don't doubt that it will make its money back eventually, but in terms of comparing it between it and its prior film, uh, so right now, let's see, Zombieland, it uh, is um, actually doing decent. It did better than the last one. So opening weekend of Zombieland was $24 million. Opening for Zombieland 2 was 26 And lifetime gross of Zombieland 1 was $75 million. So it, uh, I think, will probably do better. We'll see. We'll see. You know, only time will tell. But it's been 10 years, almost to the day, since the first Zombieland movie. I remember going to see that movie in theaters when I was in college. And I thought that was the coolest movie at the time. I was like, this is such a creative movie. I, had, I remember wishing that movie was uh, like five hours long because I wanted to know all of his rules. I wanted to see... My big thing about zombies and zombie movies is I like video game zombies... I want that movie that shows what happens after all the zombies are dead. Like, I, I, if it's a video game, I want to be able to kill every zombie. I want there to be, like, a, a ticker at the top that says I've killed, you know, 10 million zombies and there's still 5 million more, however many people are, are left. Like, there's always just that expectation that, well, there's more zombies. There's always going to be more zombies. And it's like, no, there aren't. There's only a specific amount of people in the world. If they all turn to zombies, you could get rid of all of them. And so I, I've always wanted that. And I, I liked... That Zombieland sort of showed that where, you know, certain towns that they went to had absolutely nobody left in the towns. I thought that was really cool. 
Uh, with that said, number that, and that was number three. So the number two movie of the weekend was Joker. It made another $29 million right now for a total gross of $247 million. And that is just domestic. Right now it is at $737 million worldwide off of a $55 million budget. The, guys, that is a success if I've ever seen one. Congrats to the Joker. I know I said that the last time we talked about it, but it's really clearly just just barreling ahead despite everything that anyone is trying to do to make it not work. Um, so I would not be surprised. Uh, actually, what, should I be surprised? I was going to say I wouldn't be surprised if this movie breaks a billion dollars, but I don't know if it's going to break a billion. It may not break a billion, but uh, if it does, congrats to it because, again, we need we need more movies that push the boundaries. We need more movies that are different, and I think Joker did a good job of doing that in, in most regards. The other two movies that came out, like I said, The Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit made 419000 and 350000 but that's because they both opened in less than 10 theaters. So it'll be interesting to see how both of those movies fare next weekend when they come out. I don't think there's anything else big that is coming out next weekend. I'm going to check for you right now. Um, actually, yeah, there's a couple of things, and we'll see how these play out, but One Piece Stampede comes out twice this weekend. It's on a Thursday and a Saturday. I really want to see it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to because it's only on those two days, and I'm busy both of those days. Um, but the current war director's cut comes out. I really want to see that. I wanted to see it last, uh, it was either last year or two years ago when it originally came out. And uh, yeah, 2017 when it originally came out and it like didn't end up going to theaters because I think it ended up performing poorly. So I really hope I get the chance to see that as a lot of actors in it that I like. There's also another movie on my watch list called Paradise Hills. I don't know if this movie is coming to theaters because it's rated TV 14. I don't know if that means that it's a, a TV movie, but it looks interesting. It stars Emma Roberts, Mila Jovovich. It's a almost all female cast and I'm, I'm very interested in this movie. Also coming out is uh, Black and Blue, which is the movie with uh, Mike Coulter and Naomi Harris about the rookie police officer in New Orleans who has to balance her identity as a black woman with the role as a police officer. Does not look like it's getting good reviews, but that's what um, The Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit will be competing with, along with Countdown. I forgot to mention, that's going to be another little scary movie. It's the one about that app that will tell you when you're going to die. And, you know, some people, it'll say you're going to die in 20 minutes. And they're like, holy crap, what's about to happen? And somebody comes and kills them. Uh, That seems interesting. I, I would check it out at some point. Um, probably not in theaters, but, um, yeah, so I think, I think hopefully next weekend I will, uh, I'm going to be trying to see some movies like the lighthouse Jojo rabbit. Uh, but again, it may be another light weekend and that's because my wedding anniversary is this week. Uh, my wedding anniversary is on, uh, Wednesday, October 23rd. So I will be busy this weekend. Um, but I'm still going to try to put some episodes out in, in regards to comics. And again, if I see any movies at all, I will make a post about that as well. So that's going to do it for Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and I'll see you at the movies.